0: My life is short of vapor smoke. God speaks to me through His pen stroke. The approval of men, in vain it spoke, but through grace from God my joy awoke. I do not deserve anything, but God has granted me everything. In the gospel I rejoice and sing, because Jesus is my Lord and King. About a year ago, almost to the day, I spoke a very similar message to this um, with a group of middle and high school students at Eden Christian Academy in Swickley, Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh. And it's a message that I adapted from a sermon that I wrote for myself. Wrote a sermon for myself. Did you know that preachers preach to themselves? It's probably a sickness of, of some sort. But um, during my 2012 employee review with Pastor Dan Henley at North Park Church, uh, he gave me an assignment Uh, to write a sermon for myself that I can pull out whenever I become discouraged or distraught or take my eyes off of Jesus, uh, really to refocus me on the gospel that I so desperately need. Now, we had discussed in my review my propensity uh, to become discouraged in ministry. Um, I don't think that's probably... Only me. I think other pastors get discouraged in ministry, and I think people who aren't pastors get discouraged in ministry. And uh, so I, I don't come to you as a pastoral superstar. I'm not. I'm just a common guy, and uh, I come as a as a broken man struggling deeply with sin. I wrestle like crazy with sin. Uh, A man, I come to you as a man who trusts in Christ because I so desperately need him and would perish without him. Jerusalem Church will obviously benefit from my strengths. You're going to benefit from my strengths. I'm going to bring the best I possibly can and you will be edified and uplifted by those strengths. But uh, because I want to give you and Jesus my best. And I'm trying to do that. Excuse excuse me. But Jerusalem will consistently, without stop, be exposed to Jonathan's weaknesses, where I fall short. I'm not a details guy. I forgot to pray at the Thanksgiving Eve service. That's why the candles weren't lit on. It was me. I'm not a details guy I miss things I miss appointments I miss calls emails I miss important information I forget important things one of my fears is to ask how someone is doing but maybe the year before that person had passed away like I, I fear because I miss like obvious things important things I sometimes fail to look at my calendar which can prove disastrous in my life oftentimes I fall into the sin of pessimism, failing to trust God in important things. I'm so prideful and my faith is so weak that I'm prone to discouragement and frustration in life and ministry. Sometimes I'm insensitive toward others and I often uh, fail to just think before it's out there. And this is only scratching the surface of where Jonathan struggles. That's not even breaking into it. I need the gospel every day. I need to consistently and constantly preach the gospel to myself. The gospel is not an elementary doctrine that we somehow grow up past the, do, uh, the doctrine of the gospel and somehow go to some great lofty teaching beyond the gospel. No. We need the gospel. We need to go deep into the gospel. It is the refreshment of our souls The gospel is infinitely deep, infinitely profound, infinitely helpful and relevant to everything in my life and yours. So what I hope happens this morning is that you get an edited edited look into a sermon that I wrote for Jonathan and hopefully that it will will hit you somehow right where you're at that God speaks by His Holy Spirit to say exactly what you need to hear this morning. Right at the beginning of a new year to focus us on what's most important, the gospel. Point number one, our lives, and it's all, the outline is the poem. So the sermon is basically the poem. That's the outline. Point number one, our lives are short and there is urgency in listening to and trusting in the promises of God in His Word. James said in James 4.14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A vapor is only here for a moment and then it vanishes. It's gone. Quick is that? A vapor's life is short. Our lives are short. We are on this earth for only a short time. In fact, our days are numbered by God. So to presume upon God's grace that tomorrow is guaranteed is arrogance. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. God may not choose to give us another day. It is right and good for God to to take life and to give life as He sees fit. Now how is that encouraging? Because through Christ, we have something beyond tomorrow. We have something sure beyond tomorrow. Tomorrow, amidst the uncertainty of life, I am sure, absolutely sure of this, if we are given another day, it is to serve and glorify King Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Therefore, our purpose in life is the glory of Jesus And the pursuit of our greatest joy in Him and our purpose in dying is the glory of Jesus and the pursuit of our greatest joy in Him. Because of the brevity of life, there is incredible urgency in listening to and trusting in God's promises in God's Word. We cannot ignore God and at the same time expect to find hope in a dying and perishing world. There will be no hope without God's communication to us, which He has given in His Word. There is no time to waste. We must hear God in the Bible. We must listen to the truth. We must believe the truth. In His Word, God promises us immeasurable blessings. Promises that are sure. Promises that He makes... To you, and they will be carried out. They will happen. Some have already been fulfilled. Some are yet to come. It's really helpful then to know what God promises. Because if our hope is in God's word and we don't know what's in God's words and don't even know what he promises us, we're going to miss out on this rich blessing. We have to know. Joshua wrote, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed All came to pass. When God makes a promise, he brings it through. He carries it out. The Apostle Paul understood that the promises of God are sure. He writes, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. I love that. They find their yes. Who makes the promises of God possible? Jesus Christ does. He is your yes. Paul said to the beloved in Corinth, since we have these promises, we have them, did you know that all the good promises of God are yours in Christ? The Apostle Peter encourages us, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Not just great, very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Do you understand, Jerusalem church, what this means? God never breaks a promise. God never breaks a promise. Never. One of them is Romans 8.28, a promise from God Himself. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That's a promise. If you love God, no matter what happens in your life, and I mean no matter what, it will work out for your good and His glory. God redeems the worst possible things in our lives for our good if we love God and trust Him. Romans 8, 28 can only be applied to you if you love God. So there is an equal promise on the other hand, if you just reject God, if you don't have time for Him, if there's things that are better for you than God, then His sovereign plan will work out for your bad, not for your good. But if you love him, you say, even in the worst moments of life, even when you have failed and failed and failed, you come back to say, God, forgive me. Work it for your good. Work it for my good. Work it for your glory, God. I made a royal mess of this situation, but you can redeem it. He'll do it. He'll honor Romans eight twenty eight for everyone who loves him. I know I love God. I love Him. He's the most important thing in my life. I know I am called to be a Christian man, a husband, a father, a pastor, and a friend. I know that I have an outstanding purpose in life, and it is to fulfill God's purpose for me, whatever that entails. Therefore, everything in my life will work out for good, even the evil and pain and disappointment in my life. God is sovereign over everything, and when He makes a promise, He has absolute power over and authority to honor it so even on my toughest days with my toughest struggles I can have confidence that everything fits into God's sovereign plan and that everything will work out for God's glory and my joy now just recently my mom gave me something from Hinkletown Mennonite School it was my fifth grade report card very interesting to look through and um So we're going back 20, 24 years about when I was around 10. And um, this is what one of my teachers, Miss Helmuth, this is what she wrote about Jonathan. I am enjoying learning to know Jonathan. There you have it. I especially appreciate his cooperative spirit and conscientiousness in his schoolwork. Thank you. But she doesn't stop there. Oh, had she stopped there. (laughs) Now, the good stuff. I would like to see Jonathan become as conscientious in his interactions with his peers and to respect their rights and feelings above his own. Boom! It's like, come on, Miss Helmuth, throw me a bone here, all right? That's a real kick in the teeth, but it is 100% accurate about who Jonathan is. I don't respect others. I don't love others like I should. I fail constantly to think of other people before myself. I don't think of you, church, as I should. I don't pray for you as I should. I am fallen. I am weak. I still consider Jonathan above all and sometimes placing myself above God. You know, we, we got S's and S minuses and S pluses. It wasn't A, B, C. I mean, they had that grade like 98% or 68% or whatever. But an S was satisfactory. An S plus, you're doing well. An S minus. S minus shows self-control. S minus respects the rights of others. Jonathan has problems. Before I married Christina, my heart was broken multiple times with failed relationships. But Romans 8, 28 proved true because I trusted God through the tears, through the heartache, through the mistakes, and it all worked out for my good because I gained Christina. God brought me Christina, an exceptional wife. When I was in middle school, I was bullied on the basketball. I I didn't make basketball teams seventh and eighth grade. I was cut, and I was bullied during that time. I would come home from basketball tryouts with tears, and it was really, really tough for me. And it but you know what it did? It strengthened my resolve. It thickened my skin. It made me into more of a man, step by step. During my undergraduate education at Grove City College, I faced a bunch of trials. I'm not sure I could go through them all, but God protected me a lot during that time from things that I could have been engaged in, even though I went through pain, and, and he chastened me by his grace and love, and I grew as a young man through making mistakes and having God redeem them in my life. When I worked at sales, in sales at Cintas Corporation, you'll see their white box trucks around Lancaster County, Cintas, C-I-N-T-A-S, uh, the leader in the industry. I worked at one of the best um, branches in the entire company in Pittsburgh, in Bridgeville, and I was mediocre at best. I was not good. That's why I'm a pastor. Now, that's part of the reason we I'm a pastor. But hopefully I don't make a royal mess of this. No, just kidding. There were mornings, seriously, I was fearful of getting out of bed. It was so warm, and I did not want to get out and to go to work. Fear of failure. I mean, the list is on and on. It just wasn't good. Um, but Sintos helped communicate to me a different calling and catapulted me into seminary. This isn't in the notes, but you know what God opened up an opportunity for me at Sintas where a lady in the office, her child died, and I was able to be a pastor before I was a pastor. I called the whole office together. There was one other salesman that I knew was a Christian, and we prayed in the middle of secular business in a corporation of America in the office gathered in together and I led in prayer. And when you pray for people, you can pray the gospel. And they don't even, they're like, hey, he's praying, amen. And you just work Jesus in and the cross or whatever. I don't know exactly what I prayed. God had me at sintas for a reason and he showed me I'm a horrible salesman. But he also gave me an opportunity to stand for Christ. One time I was sharing the gospel with Brian Murphy, Murphy, a co-worker. uh, Really enjoyed the guy. He was an unbeliever as far as I know. And I shared the gospel. And you know what he said to me? You should be a preacher. I took his advice. All of these trials and temptations failures, were opportunities to listen to the promises of God, to really trust Him. And His grace got me through, even though I wasn't as diligent as I should have been to study the Bible and learn the promises of God through those years. But yet He, he knew, and He took me through, and He honored His promises to me. To trust in the promises of God, we must first know them and then meditate on them. Studying the Bible is urgent because time is fleeting and the weight of life is too heavy for us. Despair is so close, just around the bend, if we don't hold fast to the promises of God in His Word. See, God keeps us hopeful by grace as we learn and listen to His promises. The songwriter of Psalm 119.28 wrote, My soul melts away with, or for sorrow strengthen me according to your word so when you are melting away when your soul is just melting away strength comes for you through god's word he will sustain you listen to what the musician writes later on remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Allow the promises of God to be your strength and hope in the face of a vaporous life. Your life, my life, could vanish any moment. So what we do with our lives is infinitely important. Are we spending our lives trying to prove ourselves to others or defining ourselves and taking hope in what God says about us? It makes all the difference in your life. Point number two, the approval of men cannot satisfy us. And the approval of God is the gracious awakening of our greatest joy. When you set your heart on pleasing other people, defining yourself by what others think of you, you set yourself up for misery, misery and joylessness, because the approval of men is largely unattainable. And even if you win the majority, you still have the disapproving, sometimes very angry minority. They're very condemning at times. Why is it that one loud critic can silence all of the rave reviews and applause? It's because the approval of men cannot satisfy. When we win some, we lose others. When we win approval, pride is so dangerously close. When we look for satisfaction in the approval of others and we don't get it, we lose contentment and joy in life. Jesus is the answer. It is faith in his life, death, and resurrection that brings the approval of God for us. Through Christ, God approves of us. See, if we just trust Jesus, then all the stuff that we've done gets washed clean in the blood of Christ and when he looks at you, he sees 100% righteous and he sees accepted and he rejoices over you. Because he approves of you because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is why Jesus is so radically important. Because if you don't have Jesus, he doesn't approve of you. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Paul wrote to the Galatians, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We cannot pursue pleasing man and, we, and pursue at the same time pleasing God. You, you cannot do it. Because the moment you pursue men, you stop serving Christ. The crowd becomes more important than biblical truth and what God thinks of you. Here's a window into my heart. I have often sought to preach the gospel for the approval of men. That's so far from the high calling that God gave me and other preachers to preach the gospel for His glory alone. But I shift into this sin, and see, I I have to preach the gospel not for the ap- appreciation or admiration or applause of man, and that's hard to do because I want you to like me. But that's not first and foremost. In one sense, don't take this the wrong way, it doesn't matter if you like me or not. It matters how faithful I am to the Scripture. How faithful I am to what God has called me to preach and let the cards fall as they may. That's kind of crass, that's kind of, but that's really true. Preaching is for the glory of God. Paul wrote, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. If my preaching is primarily aimed at winning the crowd, winning the church, I will have drifted from the gospel and made it all about Jonathan instead of God. And this type of narcissism kills joy at the deepest level. Preaching is for the glory of God and my joy is, In preaching is not the applause of men, but the delight of knowing that in the gospel I am accepted by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, though you might not be called to preach, all right, your example might be different from mine, but it's the same principle. Either be defined by the applause and approval and admiration of other people, or be defined by God himself. In the gospel, the greatest satisfaction comes for those who find their identity in Christ. The crowd may boo, but our God rejoices over us. Think for a moment of what God gives us in the gospel our predestination, our election, our effectual call, our regeneration, our repentance, our faith, our justification, our adoption, our sanctification, our perseverance, our glorification, all. In the glorious treasure of Jesus Christ. It's all ours. All of this is the awakening of our greatest joy, our unparalleled joy, our unfathomable joy, our unrivaled joy, our indestructible joy, our indescribable joy, and our residing joy. Jesus said so clearly, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I know from the authoritative words of Jesus Christ that if we ask, we receive. All for the purpose of our joy being made full. So, during your trials and temptations, pain and suffering, rejection and discouragement, success and failure, hear the truth of God sing to you through the song of David. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What do you do when someone rejects you? They just flat out rejects you. They they reject you. What do you do when other people's words cut straight to your bone? I mean, they sting. They hurt. What do you do in the ache of the cutting words and disapproval of others the approval of God can silence the critics silence the critiques and the worst possible critics and he can sustain in the middle of it pure gladness God's approval is not something that we work for it is something that he freely gives us by his grace he approves of you who who are we trying to impress when we have the almighty God who rejoices over us through Christ. Living to please everyone is so tiring because their approval comes and goes. And when you win some, you lose others, and then vice versa, and you just get, it's just tiring. But the approval of God is a gift rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ that remains, it stays, it's for you to enjoy. The truth is we all deserve coal for Christmas. We've all been naughty instead of nice. And yet somehow we still receive lavish gifts in Christ. Point number three. We don't deserve anything good from God. But everything good we have is his loving gift to us. Hear this loud and clear Jerusalem church. God is in debt to no one. God is in debt to no one. Instead... He gives and gives and gives out of His loving character because He wants to give. He owes me nothing. He owes you nothing. He owes our church nothing. It all becomes clear through Paul's vivid description of God and man. Listen to Romans 9. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory." We were made by God, and we are His. We are clay. He is artist and visionary. To the Colossians, Paul wrote, all things were created through Him and for Him. The end for which all things were made is Jesus, not me, not you. Jesus is the purpose for which we exist. I was made for Jesus. You were made for Jesus. The route of our lives is charted by God for the glory of God. Now, if you know the the story of Job, that guy got kicked around, amen? As Job is struggling, God challenges him with this. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Mine. God owns it all. No one has given God anything good that obligates him to give in return. Everything that that comes from God is simply grace through what Jesus earns from God. John wrote, and from his fullness we have received what? Grace upon grace. Jesus tells, tells an incredible story in Matthew 20 about workers in a vineyard. And some workers worked just a little bit, just a little portion of the day, and some worked all day, tired, hot sun, and they were all paid the same amount. When the workers who labored all day for the same wage complained, the master gave a simple but a really profound response to them, and this is what he said, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? That's like dropping the hammer. He's saying, who's the master? I am. Who decides? I do. You're going to begrudge my generosity and love for all those who only work some of the day? How that applies to our salvation, amen? Man, just think about that. Just ponder that. That's profound. The master of the house can run his business however he desires. Why? Because he's master. Because he's God. If he desires to pay someone a certain amount to work all day, he has the right. If in his generosity he desires to pay others the same amount for less time work he has the right. Here's the point. God owes nothing. But everything he gives is lavish grace. Think of what he gives. Jesus. Grace acceptance a new name a fresh start eternal life family friends ministry purpose he gives it all as a lavish gift god's lavish grace and generosity is all around you just look just look nothing is deserved yet see what god has given through jesus christ I've been given many good things and all are tremendous displays of God's radical love for me. In my life, I've never lacked for anything. I've got plenty of love of people that, that give me materially. I've been blessed throughout my life. Uh, my dad was a pastor. He didn't make a ton of money, but our family always had enough and we got to do cool vacations and stuff together, not lavish ones, but really memorable and cool ones. And So I've just never lacked. Why? Because God loves me. And more importantly, He he gives me himself above everything else. Can't you see God's love for you in your life by all that he has lavished on you? Even in your tricky, like difficult times, can't you see how he sustained you and, and stuck with you? Aren't your blessings limitless? The blessings of God are good. They're really good. But something trumps every material or temporal blessing that we enjoy, point number four, The gospel is the center of my joy, and I rejoice because Jesus is mine. When I'm discouraged, when I'm depressed, when I'm beaten down and disheartened, the healing and therapy that I need comes from the gospel. It comes from the gospel. My greatest joy is the gospel, and it is only there that I find divine gospel promises the gospel is the center of my joy, never to be taken or stolen, only to be enjoyed and delighted in. And though my gladness in the gospel is faint, folks, let, please hear me say this, my enjoyment of the gospel is small compared to what it should be. I, my reflection of the glory of Jesus Christ is so faint. It's just so faint. I, I fail at this, but it's growing, and it's growing more intense and the embers are, are, are growing more hot. You know, I want it to be white hot. And, and now it's just, what is it, red hot? That's not very hot, is it? You know, red hot. I want white hot, all right? Or blue hot, or whatever the hottest flame. So I, I have some work to do, and God's grace is not done with me yet, nor is it done with you. He is my treasure. Jesus is precious to me because of my need for him and how he meets my needs When things in your life aren't going right, they're not going well, what consoles you? What counsels you? What comforts you? What encourages you? What gives you hope to press on one foot in front of the next? What is that for you? We all have something that that gets us up in the morning. What keeps you moving up the mountain? In Hebrews, the writer explains, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We must not love cash. Why? Because Jesus is better than cash. He never leaves. The market fails. Jesus stays. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Money is great company, but it's a lousy friend. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Hear the provocative lyrics of the songwriter, Psalm 63, two through five. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Isn't that amazing? We can have joy inexpressible. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 1 Peter 1.8. Everyone gets discouraged at times. You need a go-to message. You need a go-to something that when things don't look too great in your life, you retreat there and find hope to get through the junk. You need that. And I just wonder what yours is. Like, I wonder what you turn to. I don't always turn to the gospel, but I should. And I know it's there. Everyone hits a low. Expect lows and be prepared for the battle of the lows. You've got to be prepared. What are your weapons against low times? What keeps you pressing on? Is it God's truth? Is it the gospel? Just remember a couple things. One, life is short and God has spoken. The time to trust God's word is now. Number two, gaining approval for others will never, ever, ever satisfy you. But God's approval by grace through faith in Christ will awaken your greatest joy. Number three, God doesn't owe you or me anything good. But everything good that we have is his gracious and generous gift To us, mostly his son. And number four, what do you rejoice in the most? What is the melody of your heart? The most profound blessing of the gospel is not avoiding hell, it's gaining Christ. He is the joy of our rejoicing. My life is short, a vapor smoke. God speaks to me through his pen stroke. The approval of men in vain it spoke but through grace from God my joy awoke. I do not deserve anything, but God has granted me everything. In the gospel I rejoice and sing, because Jesus is my Lord and King. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you give us great hope in the gospel, and that with Jesus we can experience everything good, that he is our yes from you, God. I pray, God, that Jerusalem Church will be captivated, gripped, enthralled with Jesus Christ, that he would be everything here, that we wouldn't just come to hear a sermon from Jonathan, that we would come to hear the word of God. You speak through your word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you apply it to our lives. So I pray, God, that in whatever way um, each of these people here today needs to hear this, help them to hear it that way. Help their heart to sing with joy because of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen.